What's up and welcome to Ask Father Josh, the podcast where I get to listen to your questions, pray with them, and hopefully respond in such a way that it's helpful for you to become a saint in your walk toward eternity. Here's how the show goes. You hit me up with three to five questions per episode dealing with anything and everything from morality to spirituality, relationship advice, evangelization, discipleship, catechesis. The list goes on and on and on. I will then sit with your questions. I will pray with them. I will study them and hopefully I will respond in such a way that is good for you to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. But if my advice is not good for you, and sometimes it's not because guess what, I'm not perfect. I wanna give you the freedom to reject whatever it is that I say that does not help you to become a saint. Uh, if you are a first time listener, you can be up with your own questions at www.assistionpress.com slash askfatherjosh, spell out A-S-K-F-A-T-H-E-R-J-O, SH. You can also rate us and review us on iTunes and Spotify and Google Play and all other podcast formats. And you can share us on your social media pages. This helps other people to find out about the show. If it's been a gift for you, potentially it could become a gift for other people as well in their journey to becoming saints. On today's show, we're going to address three questions. Uh, our questions for today's episode are, Number one, is Catholicism a cult? Number two, we're going to talk about being worthy while approaching Holy Communion. And the third question for today's show is the meaning of world without end whenever we pray the glory be. But before we get into those great topics, I want to share with you a glory story. All right, my glory story. So many, so many. Uh, so I, we have staff prayer every Tuesday, and we get together. We spend about an hour before the Blessed Sacrament in our chapel. And after we pray before the presence of Jesus Christ, we uh, in Scripture as well, we um, we gather and we, we share with each other the fruits of our time spent with the Lord. Uh, and today, while we were sharing as a team uh, some of our fruits, one of my teammates, she said something that just like, it reminded me of an encounter I had with God a number of years ago, shortly after my uh, my reversion back to the church. You know, I graduated high school, went to Southern University. Uh, after that, I began to work at a post office, and I would get off of work around like 3 a.m. every single day. And so daily at 3 a.m., I'm wide awake, so I would go to a perpetual adoration chapel. And I would just sit with God. I was never a committed adorer. I just happened to go every day. I never called the church and said, hey, you put me on the list. But I, I would go. And I remember one day when I was going to spend time with Jesus in the Eucharist, I perceived, and again, I say the word perceived because I'm not infallible. I, I don't want to claim to have the authority to say I heard God's voice. But I perceived God speak to me as I was pulling up at 3 a.m. or 3 something, 3.15 at this point, to the Adoration Chapel. I perceived Jesus say to me in prayer, Josh, Will you stay with me if they all leave me? And I don't know about you, but sometimes like when I'm praying, I'm like super bold with God and I'm I'm feeling very zealous and I love him so much. And like spiritually, I'm like, yeah, God, I will never leave you, God. I'll never, uh, I will never forget you. Like I will never go away. 
from you, uh, Jesus, and I got you. I, I'm with you. And then I, so I walked in the chapel, and the person who was in there, the committed the door, noticed I came in, and so she got up and left. And so I was like, cool, I get to like spend this hour with Jesus Christ alone, which again, in my world, that's a dream. I, that's what I love about being a priest. I live with the, the Eucharist. He's like my roommate. So I'm, I'm his roommate. It's his house, not mine. But like, I love praying in chapel by myself. So I was like, man, this is great. I get a whole hour with Jesus by myself. This is so great, God. Thank you so much. Well, then I, another hour goes by and whoever was supposed to come didn't show up. They left him. They left him and then they didn't show up. Then another hour came and the person didn't show up. And I remember sitting there and I was like, Jesus, really? Like, really, God? Really? Is that what you meant? Because like at this point, I'm getting tired now. Like now it's getting to the point where I need to go to uh, take, a, take a, a nap or whatever. But I told you I wouldn't leave you. And so finally, three hours later, somebody came and, and I was able to tell him I loved him and then go home and go to bed. But it was just a, it's a beautiful grace just to remember that, that looking back, how he he chose me. He chose me. He wanted to be with me. He invited me to prioritize him above my own comfort, above everything else. And so, and I think that's what he invites all of us to as well. You know, he wants us to choose him and he chooses us all the time. And so, um, yeah, and especially during this Advent season, like right now we're invited to enter into a time of penance, right? A joyful penance and preparation for the remembrance of the coming of Christ, but also the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, um, the King. And so I want to encourage you, if you aren't engaging in any kind of penances to spend more time with Jesus, then, then, then do so, right? That might involve waking up earlier, like abstaining from sleep. It might involve abstaining from music while you're driving in the car. It might involve abstaining from the television or social media, uh, but deny yourself something that you're going to feel for the sake of being able to turn to him, God, so that God can can fulfill you in a way that temporary goods, even if they're good goods, cannot do. Uh, this is a time to, to, to spend more time with Jesus, to be transformed more by his grace, by his love, and by his mercy um, as we await for his second coming. Um, also, I got some feedback for us coming in from Mary. Mary, how appropriate your name is, um, especially because we are in the Advent season. And right now we're walking with Mary um, in her pregnancy. Uh, so this is what Mary says. I so appreciate your honest answers and call to holiness. Praying for people I struggle with and seeing Christ in others is a constant reminder you give that has been such a blessing. Thank you. Yeah, Mary, I mean, that's the thing. Is we're, we're all necessary members of the body of Christ, right? We might not all like each other. But we need each other. Like we all need each other. And so even whenever people come at you incorrectly, you can certainly put up boundaries. You don't have to you don't have to give them space that doesn't belong to them, but you are invited by God to imitate Jesus and to pray for them, to pray for their conversion, to fast for their conversion, to pray for your ongoing conversion of heart, to fast for your ongoing conversion of heart so that you can be uh, in a better place to to love them well the way that God wants you to love them, which which sometimes is in a, a relationship with them and other times it's from a distance to where we aren't talking to them, but we are praying and fasting for their good, for their salvation, right? So there are plenty of people in the body of Christ that, that don't like me, and that's cool. I do hope that they pray for me and that they fast for me and that they um, offer penances for my ongoing conversion because we're all on the journey. I'm not there yet. I still got so much room to grow. I'm a, I go to confession once a week, and I'll probably talk about that in my answer to the second question about worthiness with regards to communion, but I know I'm broken. I know I'm in constant need of God's grace and love and mercy, and um, and I just, yeah, there's always so much more room to grow, and, and so 
I, uh, I'm grateful whenever other members in the community reveal to me my flaws and my uh, inadequacies and my imperfections and the ways in which I'm not being the priest that God desires for me to be. So, I mean, there's always room for all of us to grow. And so, yeah, so that applies to the people that you struggle with and to you as well and to me, all of us, right? There's always more room. And as St. Paul writes in Ephesians, we need to be tender, tenderhearted and, and forgiving as God and Christ forgave us. Mm. The Word of God, the Bible is just so good. I just, I can't, I can't get enough of it. I cannot get enough of the Bible, y'all. Uh, I just can't get enough. All right, with that being said, let's jump into our first question from Alyssa. coffee. So I'm actually recording today's show in the afternoon. I woke up early this morning and I just, uh, I spent a lot of the, the morning with God. I said, Lord, it is a gift to be able to live with you. And so, especially during Advent, I want to increase the amount of time I spend with him. And so I was able to just give him the whole morning, like um, a lot of time and it was beautiful. So so now I'm doing the show in the afternoon. So I'm drinking my coffee now because because uh, I'm tired because I got up so early. So first question comes in from Melissa. Is Catholicism a cult? Hey, Father Josh, I am a Catholic university student and I was chatting with a classmate. The topic of religion came up and after claiming that she is not religious but spiritual, she said that all religions are cults, in particular the Catholic Church. Giving this is her primary reason for not being religious. She was unwilling to discuss this further, so I wasn't able to say much to the contrary. I know this is just a snappy and trendy excuse in our culture to paint the church as bad. However, it got me thinking about how one should best address this topic when confronted. I'm not well versed enough on the definition and the nature of a cult to confidently handle such a discussion should she decide to initiate it again. In short, my question is, what differentiates the Catholic Church from a cult and how would you approach this topic in a discussion and or debate? That's a great question. And listen, I, and I'm sorry that, that she just uh, attacked and then didn't um, engage in the conversation. So, I mean, the best thing that we could do always is, is send our angels, our garden angels, uh, to talk with their garden angels and to ask them to begin to minister to that person and to us in case it is God's will for a conversation to happen to take place again. We do not take advantage of our angels enough. And so send your angel to, to her angels to begin to intercede for, for her. And if it is God's will for a conversation to take place, ask the Holy Spirit to give you the gift of tongues so that you can only say the words that he wants you to say and for the Holy Spirit to give her the gift of interpretation of tongues so that she will only hear the words that you want, that God wants for her to hear. If you are able to engage her in a conversation, the first thing I always would do is just ask further questions and specifically further questions about definitions of terms. If someone says that the Catholic Church is a cult, we need to define what does the word cult mean? Because depending on who you're talking to, it can mean different things. For instance, a progressive person might say Father Josh is conservative. A traditionalist might say Father Josh is liberal. So I'm pretty sure that those 
people in those different camps have a different idea of what the term conservative means, traditionalist means, progressive means, liberal means, right? So they have, they have these, their own definitions. And so what do you mean when you say that? How would you define that term traditional, conservative, liberal, progressive? An interesting fact, I've been called all of the above by different people in different groups, and it's cool. I'm like, whatever, I don't care. I, I prefer the term beloved son of God the Father, who is a sinner who desires to become a saint. But we digress. So I think it would be important for you to to invite them to define their term terms. Like, what do you mean whenever you say the Catholic Church is a cult? What is a, a cult? In uh, like this, uh, what's the word? Like in, in a secular sense, the word cult typically is has negative connotations. It, it refers to people or groups of people who manipulate others psychologically, emotionally, in an effort to to have some kind of control over them, to to grasp at them, to possess them in some way, shape, or form. We as Catholics, we don't control other people. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, he said, Behold, behold the Lamb of God. We behold the other, we do not control the other. In Catholicism, the word cult has a much different meaning. Specifically, whenever we talk about cult in the Catholic, in the Catholic world, we are describing the way that one engages in worship. Um, so like as a priest, I do marriage prep often. Now as a vocation director, I don't do it too often because most of my weekends are now booked with uh, retreats. So most of my weekends are on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Hence, uh, that's why you're not seeing me doing a lot of weddings right now because I'm doing vocation retreats and discernment retreats and seminarian things on weekends. But Back when I was a pastor, a lot of my weekends were spent accompanying people, young and old, in the sacrament of matrimony. Such a beautiful sacrament. So many graces are poured forth in that sacrament for people to become saints. And I thoroughly enjoyed watching people even have deeper conversions through the, uh, the process of, of going through preparation. So whenever I walk with a couple in marriage prep, we have to fill out different paperwork, different forms. And one of the forms is for Catholics who are marrying non-baptized persons. And so if a Catholic is going to marry a non-baptized person, if they're going to engage in marriage with that person, so Catholics can marry Catholics, Catholics can marry Protestants, evangelicals, et cetera, et cetera. Catholics can also marry non-baptized persons and they're legit weddings, they're legit, you know, whatever, they're, they're valid marriages. Um, but we have to sign off on what's called a dispensation for a disparity of cult, which means that that person uh, who is not baptized, certainly um, if they worship, they worship in a way that is different than the way that, that we would worship God, Father, Son, and, and Holy Spirit. Also in Catholicism, Cult is not only used to describe the way that one engages in worship, but when we talk about cults, we're talking about like devotions. So we have different devotions to saints. These devotions have been traditionally described as cults. Again, this is, has nothing to do with manipulation, emotional, psychological control over another person. This is just a term that has been around far longer than the secular approach. However, even though this has a different meaning, does that mean that there are not cult practices amongst baptized Catholic individuals and or new groups that are being formed, sometimes even religious orders, whether they're Catholic or Orthodox or even um, in evangelical circles, Protestant circles, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There can be, in the sense that cultish movements typically involve people who want to manipulate people and use people and abuse people emotionally and psychologically to get them to follow their agenda. 
but just because a baptized Catholic starts this kind of a group or organization or institute or whatever you want to call it, or a baptized Orthodox person or a baptized Protestant starts these organizations uh, to, to get people to follow their particular agenda, that does not mean that the church, the Orthodox church or the Catholic church itself is a cult because one of its members is doing something on his or her own, right? The church, the Catholic church is the bride of Jesus Christ. One, holy Catholic and apostolic, she is perfect. The bride of Christ is. However, the individual members in the church are being perfected little by little over time. So nonetheless, that means that we are a bunch of sinners who are on a struggle bus to becoming saints. So just because a member of the Catholic Church, a member of the body of Christ, a person who is baptized Catholic, uh, engages in, participates in, or founds something that is a cult in the negative sense, in the sense that is to abuse, manipulate, use people emotionally, psychologically, to get them to follow their agenda and their practices. Does that mean that the church the bride of Christ teaches that. Think about St. Peter. St. Peter denied Jesus Christ three times. He was baptized. He was an ordained member of the body of Christ. He was ordained at the Last Supper. And after he was ordained, he began to curse and he cut somebody's ear off and he abandoned Jesus and he denied Jesus three times. Does that mean that the Catholic Church teaches that we are supposed to deny Jesus three times? No. It means that a member of the body of Christ did that. He he went against the will of God. Uh, St. Thomas doubted Jesus. Does that mean that because he was a bishop and he was an apostle, that that means that uh, it's okay to uh, say, I doubt Jesus Christ? The, 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 so no, no, it's not, right? So that's not the church's teaching. That's that individual member. So just because a member does something, does that mean the church actually teaches that? We're supposed to do that. So we must make a distinction between individual members of the body of Christ who are part of the church by virtue of their baptism and the official teachings of Holy Mother Church. So is the Catholic Church a cult in the sense that your friend is saying? No, the Catholic Church is not. Are there individual Catholics um, or groups of baptized Catholics who might be in a cult in the negative sense? Uh, yes, that is true. Um, and then does the Catholic Church have a different definition of the secular definition of cult in general? Yes, that is also true as as well. So hopefully that was a sufficient answer. Let me know if I can answer that better. Hit me up with follow-up questions to let me know. All right. Let's also, while we're on the topic of all things Catholic, let's talk about the worthiness of approaching Holy Communion. This question comes in from Natasha. That reminds me of Natasha from um, Marvel, Natasha Romanoff. Uh, Natasha, yeah, it was, man, that was like, yeah, even though it's just a, a character from a movie, whenever you and Hawkeye were like fighting, yeah, mm, thank you. You, you, you saved us, you saved us from Thanos. I just heard that Thanos means envy, I'm not sure if that's true or not, I haven't looked that up yet, but on to your question, Natasha. Hey, Father Josh, praise be to God for this awesome podcast that you have. I'm a cradle Catholic who reverted to the faith about a year and a half ago. I started listening to your show during the quarantine, and one episode in particular spoke to my heart at the time. It was your episode about soul ties. After listening to it, I immediately scheduled a confession, and from that day on, I have been deepening my relationship with the Lord. My questions are, because we are all sinners— and we will always be sinners by, by nature. How are we ever worthy of receiving communion if we are never in a true state of grace? How are any of us worthy to immediately enter into heaven with Jesus if we are all unclean in some way? When we do confess our sins and we truly mean to never sin again, how can this ever be possible considering we are not divine beings? Thanks for helping me out with these questions. Know that I'm praying for you. Blessings, Natasha. So that's actually a really great question, Natasha. Thank you for asking it. I will now attempt to respond to it in such a way that I hope is good for you in your walk toward becoming a saint. So 
If you are in mortal sin, which means that it is grave matter, you um, freely chose to do it, you had full knowledge of what you were doing, uh, then then you are to not ever approach communion until you go to confession, right? Confession. When you go to confession and you receive the sacrament of grace, then you can approach Jesus Christ in the Eucharist again, all right? So the church is very, very clear about uh, not receiving our blessed Lord whenever we are in, in grave sin. With that being said, actually, I just, I'll read it to you from the Code of Canon Law. Um, a person who is conscious of grave sin is not to receive the body of the Lord without previous sacrament of confession. Boom. However, if you are in venial sin, the Eucharist can actually wipe out your sin. So the, the, the Eucharist cleanses us of our venial sins. And so if you are in venial sin or if you have imperfections, whenever you go to Holy Communion, the Eucharist, Jesus Christ in the Blessed Sacrament, he does purge us, he does cleanse us. If you were to, to die and you're not in a state of grace, which means you die in mortal sin, right? That means it's hell. But if you were to die with venial sins on your soul, with imperfections, that is what purgatory will purge, will cleanse us. And so um, any sins that are on us, like it purifies us, the effects of our sins. That's what John was talking about in Revelation 21, 27. He says, nothing unclean shall enter heaven. The way that we get to heaven then, if we're not unclean, is by the grace of God. Through purgatory, he cleanses us over time. So that doesn't mean that we still should not go to confession for venial sins because even the greatest saints still would go to confession weekly. Mother Teresa of Calcutta went to confession quite often. St. John Paul II definitely went to confession every single week. And I'm pretty sure St. John Paul II and St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta were not committing mortal sins every single week. To commit a mortal sin means like not even the spiritual life. And they were definitely beyond the purgative stage of the spiritual life. So they were definitely going back and forth between the unitive and illuminative stage of the spiritual life over and over again. All right, cyclical probably. But with that being said, like, yeah. So go to confession and then for mortal sin, and even for venial sin, it's good to as well. But also recognize whenever you do receive communion, communion cleanses us of our venial sins. There's something else I want to say. But then I guess the question will become, you said, how can we not sin if we're, if we're human? Uh, it's not human to sin. Mary's a human, right? And she doesn't sin. And so as fallen human beings, we have concupiscence, which means we, we are, we, we're, we're, we're drawn to sin. Um, but we don't have to sin mortal or venially. There are some saints who made it to the unitive stage of the spiritual life and and they didn't they didn't sin anymore morally or venially. They had imperfections still, um, but just because they had imperfections does that mean that they were um, committing mortal sins or venial sins. So what's an imperfection? And imperfection means that we just didn't love well. Um, and so there are people who do things for, for, for the love of God. And there's sometimes your motivation for doing something might not be perfect. It might be um, some other reason. So that would be considered an imperfection. Um, that could be perfected over time. So it's not a deliberate venial sin, um, but it's like the act in itself um, was not done as perfectly as possible. And so for most of the saints, even though they, even though the saints, many of them uh, at some point, some of them no longer struggled with mortal sins and rarely committed venial sins, many of them still struggled with imperfections, like not doing acts of love in the perfect will of God, right? And so that would be an imperfection. Hopefully that was not super confusing and more helpful than that. <laughs> Let's go take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to end the show with whether we end most of our prayers. The glory be. And what is the meaning of the words world without end? Did you know 
that every single item in a Catholic church points us towards heaven? Make every visit to a Catholic church a powerful reminder of God's presence with a new book from Ascension, The Sacred That Surrounds Us by Andrea Zachman. The Sacred That Surrounds Us awakens Catholics to the mystery of the seemingly ordinary items we see every week at Mass. It explains with clarity the symbolic realities and historical facts of each one. To order The Sacred That Surrounds Us, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. And we're back again. Quick reminder, you can hit me up with your own questions at www.essentialpress.com slash askfatherjosh, spell out A-S-K-F-A-T-H-E-R-J-O-S-H. You can also rate us and view us on iTunes and other podcast formats and share us on your social media pages. And if you want to watch the YouTube show on Ascension Presents, the Ask Father Josh show, which is different from the podcast, the, the, the Ask Father Josh show, I only answer one question and that airs every other Tuesday. You can go to the Essential Presents YouTube channel to check that out. And if you put your comments in those sections, then I'll separately answer those questions on the video format uh, from the perspective of how it relates to our relationship with God, the church, and each other. Last question comes in from another Mary. Mary, did you know the meaning of world without end? Hello. I really want to enter into my prayers more deeply and focus on the words and their true meanings. That being said... I don't fully understand why the last line of the glory be states world without end. This seems contrary to our belief in the resurrection of the body. Can you help me understand this? Yeah, so world without end is an idiom for forever. Forever, forever, ever, forever, ever, forever. For, what is that song? Forever, 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 forever. Anyways, forever, forever, ever. Man, that's such a great word. Uh, so many good songs have the word forever in there. But yeah, forever is not meant to be taken literally in, in the Latin. It literally is ages of ages. Um, and so whenever we priests recite the liturgy of the hours, we say the glory be a lot in there. We actually say glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Um, and so when we do the rosary, though, we say world without end. So literally it just means May all glory be to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit forever and ever and ever and ever, ever, ever. So that's uh, totally, I kind of understand where you have the question. Uh, when I was in seminary, I had the same question. I was like, why do we why do we say this? What does that mean? So good question. Hopefully that was a simple answer to a very common and good question, Mary. All right, y'all. I am about to go pray my evening prayer. And then after that, I'm going to go hear confessions and then celebrate the holy sacrifice of the mass. So... Until I see you next time, talk with you next time, I will be united with you in the Eucharist. God bless. Mm-hmm.